0: for the summer. This summer um, we're doing a series uh, called A Glossary of Grace where uh, over eight weeks I'm taking uh, one fancy theological word under the umbrella of God's grace. That's sort of the big topic and talking about it. So we've talked so far about atonement and uh, we've talked about regeneration and as an introduction we talked about grace. And uh, this week another fancy important theological word. We're going to talk about justification. And uh, just by way of introduction, um, uh, you know, RUF, uh, uh, if you don't know what Reformed means, that's okay. But uh, just for a history lesson, it sort of falls under the umbrella of the Protestant movement that started in the 1500s. Uh, Guys like Martin Luther and John Calvin, and I won't bore you to death with history. But uh, Luther sort of uh, started this whole thing with the rediscovery of uh, of the gospel uh, of justification. And about this topic we're going to talk about tonight, justification, uh, Luther, who wrote a lot, wrote this. This doctrine of justification is the head and the cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. So uh, Luther, you know, if you've read much Luther or heard much Luther, he's sort of prone to hyperbole. Uh, He says hard things. He says loud, brash things. Uh, But he usually means them. And he means this, that uh, justification is a very important uh, reality, uh, doctrine, topic. As regards uh, the the core of Christianity. So, we're going to talk about justification tonight. And uh, if you have a Bible, turn in it to Luke 18. And if you need one, I've got a couple there. And I can get a couple more if anybody needs one. Anybody want one? We're good. Turn to Luke 18 and also turn to Romans 4. Uh, I'm going to look at two texts. And I've sort of done this a couple times already this semester, sort of coming at these major topics from two different angles. We're going to do that tonight to sort of take a story narrative view uh, from one angle and then, uh, and then take another take at it uh, from a different angle. So I'm going to read chapter uh, 18 verses 9 to 14 in Luke. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven. But he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now let's flip over to Romans 4. It's uh, maybe about uh, 100 pages or so over. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised, or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. And now skip to the very end of the chapter, verse 22. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words "It was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, and who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. All right. I'm going to pray real quick. Feel free to join me if uh, you're the praying type. Uh, Great Father, we thank you for uh, your Word. And uh, at the end of a day of work, we uh, pray that you'd be kind to sharpen our minds and soften our hearts. Uh, Show us uh, more clearly uh, what this doctrine of justification means and why it matters, and, uh, and and teach us about it. And about ourselves and about you, in, in ways that uh, really make a difference in our lives. I pray these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, so uh, I'm going to talk about both these texts sort of in order and both uh, somewhat briefly. Let's start with the story. Uh, the story shortly is pretty simple. Two men go up to the temple to pray. They weren't the only ones. There are lots of people there. It's what people do in the temple. It's a lot like a church service. All kinds of folks there. Probably a, a pretty messy congregation of people. And, uh, and shortly thereafter, the same two men walk down. And one of them is declared justified. Um, it's a word that shows up over and over in the Bible. By the way, just a tangent. Anybody watch the TV show Justified? Anyone? Oh man, it's really good. Yeah? You saw it? Did you like it? No? D- did you like it? I haven't finished it. Yeah, it's really good. Just <laughs> try it. It's really good. It has nothing to do with this word. Um, but it's, it's fine television. All right, uh, anyway. Um, so the, the word appears uh, often in the Bible, starting as early as Genesis and, and going right through. Um, but when we're talking about justification, what are we actually talking about? And by way of introduction, I think verse 9 gets us somewhere. That uh, this parable is uh, told to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. When we're talking about justification, we're talking about righteousness. and uh, And how it is that we come to relate rightly to God. Who is righteous. Um, so, this Pharisee, um, uh, for the most I've done this before this summer already, for the most part, this would have been a sincere law keeper, someone who was trying to keep all the law. And,. Um, of course, failed to do so. maybe have been unaware of how he was failing, but he was trying. He would have been well-respected. And as it regards the law, he's one of these how-high types. If, if, if the law tells you to jump, he's going to ask how high, and he's going to keep on jumping until you tell him to stop. Uh, that's how they were wired. If the law told you to do something, uh, they were going to do it and keep on doing it and be overly meticulous in doing so. Uh, The other guy, uh, this tax collector, was considered an irreligious uh, traitor. Uh, He would have been pretty universally despised uh, in the area of Palestine. He's someone that regularly used others for his own gain. And, uh, yeah, so what this little text here is going to do is show us, I think, how righteousness is often confused or how justification is often confused. Uh, It sort of begins in verse 2. You have these two men. I said verse 2, verse 10. You have these two men going up to the temple to pray, and one's a Pharisee, the other's a tax collector, and you sort of get this sense of a comparison or a contest. And uh, it certainly seems that way given the Pharisee's prayer. He stands by himself and he prays, I thank you, I'm not like other men, like this guy. And uh, it almost seems like, uh, in this guy's mind, it's a bit of a righteousness contest. I'm not like this guy. I'm not like this guy. I'm not immoral like these guys. Then he goes on to say, I also keep the law. I fast. I pray. And in these areas, he is exceeding the limits of the law. He's doing extra credit with God. If it's a contest, you might expect sort of like a counterpunch at this point, a comparison, right? Uh, the Pharisee stands up and says, thinking like this guy. You'd expect the other guy to respond, perhaps, if this is a real contest. Uh, and instead, um, there's no contest. Uh, the guy never really gets off the mat. It's not really clear if the Pharisee actually thinks that righteousness is about being better than other people. But it's, I think it's sort of clear that because of the way he thinks about righteousness, he naturally compares himself to other people. Um, he, it's a natural consequence of the way that he thinks about righteousness. And in general, we can tell by the way this guy prays that he thinks well of himself. He thinks he's doing well. Uh, he's pretty confident that he's right with God. So, you sort of have this contest mentality in this Pharisee. Um, I think uh, another way in which righteousness is often confused is not just a matter of thinking it's a contest, but uh, we we misjudge the standard. And here in verse 9, again, Jesus is telling this parable to some who think that they're righteous. And, uh, and the sort of sense in which they did this was they realized God was righteous and holy. And they didn't quite meet that standard. But they thought if they were righteous enough, God would perhaps grade on a curve. And that they had to be more righteous than others. And it's good to be on the right side of the curve. And God would mercifully fill in the gap. Um, but that's not really what the Bible says about righteousness. It says that God is purely righteous, holy. And that we frankly aren't. Um, you know, Romans follows up with a Psalm 14 and says there are none who are righteous, not even one. And it goes on to sort of spread us out as individuals and say in all kinds of areas in our life we fall far short. You know, we're not righteous at all. So if we have this standard of righteousness and we're judging ourselves against others, we may think we're doing well. And God's saying, you're all getting gradations of a zero. You got a zero. Your zero looks a little bit better maybe, but you got a zero. You got a zero as well. You think you got a 20. You got a zero. Um, You're all failing. Um, And uh, because this is the case, what these folks are doing is they're misplacing their confidence. These guys are trusting in themselves that they're righteous, they're trusting it based on their goodness, they seem good to themselves compared to others, I'm better than that guy, so I must be good, and in their religious performance, they're doing all the things that they're being told to do, therefore they have reason to be confident in their own minds that they're okay with God. And uh, yeah, you know, from a purely human perspective, now on ground level, this is a guy who's well respected, he's probably a good father, he does everything that's asked of him, he's Not grossly immoral like the tax collector. And yet, verse 14 says, This guy goes down to his house unjustified. They both go down. He goes down unjustified. Um, Meanwhile, this other guy goes down justified. So let's talk about the other guy real quickly. Actually, let's talk about justified real quickly. I should give you a definition. Since we're halfway through this thing and I haven't defined justified yet. Um... To be justified is to be declared righteous, or to be declared right, in, in just the most basic term. And uh, I'll give you a, a sort of fancier theological definition. Justification is a legal or forensic term, that means legal, uh, a term that belongs to the realm of the law court. It means to declare just, to declare righteous. It's the opposite of condemnation. That's from Martin Lloyd-Jones, this uh, Pretty famous British preacher. If i say famous British preacher, I'm saying someone that you probably never heard of. So, anyway. Um, so, the, the question then is, um, if this guy went down justified, declared righteous, what did he do? Why? How is this the case? And uh, we look back at what he did, and, uh, you know, if it was a contest, he really didn't do much. He never, like, counterpunched. Um, and if there was a standard, he didn't seem to to even try to meet it. Uh, this guy, this tax collector, who seems to be like probably more at home in the back of like a shady barbershop conducting like gambling deals than in the temple, uh, someplace called Vinny's maybe, I could imagine. Um, he's, uh, he's in the temple and he's praying, and uh, we see him standing far off. That means he's humble. And uh, not even lifting his eyes to heaven, but beating his breast. That's a, like sincere grief. Saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Uh, you know, he, he never talks about himself, really, besides uh, declaring himself a sinner. And he cries out for mercy. And uh, that, that cry for mercy actually uh, harkens back to something we talked about a couple days ago. What Weeks ago. Sorry, not days. Uh, weeks ago, we, we talked about atonement the uh, provision of a substitute to cover one's sin. So this is how forgiveness is granted in the Bible, that God provides a substitute to cover your sins. And what this guy is asking for by asking for mercy, it's a very similar word. He's saying, I need someone to take my place. My only hope for forgiveness is someone else. If there's a contest where I have to be righteous enough, I need someone else to be righteous for me. I need someone... To, to take my sins, to cover for me, uh, because I'm not worthy in any way. My only hope is someone else. That's pretty much what he's saying here. And verse 14 tells us that this guy goes down the mountain justified, declared right with God. So the question is, okay, that's the summary. That's the whole story. Because he pleads for mercy, God declares him justified. In some ways, that's enough us to know it's not about your performance it's about what god does cry out for mercy rest in jesus justified but you know if you're more curious and i hope you would be then you should ask the question like but why how does it work um what's going on behind the scenes and uh you know maybe i don't know if this illustration is going to work or not but i'll use it as an illustration anyway and then you can tell me if it works or not uh Like a long time ago, half my life ago, I was working at this children's home. That was a terrible experience. Um, But one day in particular, I uh, was asked to go pick up this Anglican bishop from uh, the Sudan. His name was Nathaniel Garang, right? Reverend Bishop Nathaniel Garang. I didn't know anything about the Anglican Church, the Episcopal Church, or the, the history of the struggle in Sudan. So I picked up this guy in the middle of nowhere, rural West Virginia. We spent the afternoon together. If I had been a little more curious, I would have learned a lot of things that day, but I didn't know what to ask. This guy was about six seven, dark as night, clothed in a blood-red robe. And we went and ate at Ryan's Steakhouse together in the middle of rural West Virginia. It was wonderful. We walked into this place together and everyone stopped and watched. It was like the Avenger of Death had walked in. It was a blood-red robe. Um, and no one had ever seen anyone like this guy before. He walked with a staff. Um, and he had never seen anything like Ryan's Steakhouse, of course. Um, so we had a great conversation, fantastic man of faith, wonderful, what a great guy. Um, but at one point I, I stopped at an ATM, he's been in the States a couple of days and pretty much hasn't been around, and I uh, stick in my card and it spits out money and he's like, explain. <laughs> I was like, uh, it gives me money. <laughs> he's like, how, why? And uh, in some ways, I think that's not a bad image for what's going on here. What, what we have here uh, with this story is the declaration that this guy who does not deserve to be justified has been granted righteousness, has been granted justification. What I'm asking, what I hope the Bible tells us is, what's going on behind the machine? When I stick in my card and get stuff, when I plead for mercy and God grants me justification, what's going on behind the scene that makes this possible? Does that make sense? Romans 4 tells us, okay? So, let's look at Romans 4 real quick. I'm not going to spend too much time here. I will say, I'm just going to give you the very brief introduction to Romans 4, but if you want the in-depth theological approach and understanding of justification, what the Bible has to say about it, then uh, you're in the right place. Just sort of start in Romans 3 and keep reading the, the end of chapter 5, and then go back and do it again, and then maybe a couple more times. 3 through 5 is where Paul sits down and really explains and uncovers and dives deep into the doctrine of justification. So there's a lot I could say here but I'm not going to say much. Um we did read it, so I'm not going to reread it. But uh, Paul here is asking about Abraham, and what he's doing in verse, verses one, two, and three is saying, "Hey, you remember that story about Abraham all the way back at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 15, where where God comes uh, and makes a promise to Abraham, and Abraham believes the Lord." This is chapter 15, verse six. And God counts it to him as righteousness. This is what Genesis 15, verse 6 says. That Abraham believed God, and God counted it to him as righteousness. So this is, If you want to know how Old Testament believers were saved, there you go. Um, but Paul's saying, like, what does that mean? What does it mean for us? And that's what he's talking about here in chapter 4. And, and I, I'm going to give us again a summary version here. A couple things about this um, act of justification. The first thing is it's a gift. Paul says in verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are counted as, not as a gift, but as it's due. If you work for it, you can't call it a gift. It's called a paycheck. Um, that's what's due to me. You know, if, someone, if you work for someone, it's like, here's a gift. You're like, it's not a gift. <laughs> um Instead, verse 5, to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Um, What we have here with justification, the reality that God declares people to be just when they're not, that this is a gift. This is something God gives away. This is an aspect of His grace. Uh, Grace means gift, by the way. Um, It's a gift An undeserved gift given to the undeserving. And that uh, we have here a God who justifies the ungodly. Those who by nature are not deserving. So the first thing we need to know about justification here is it's a gift from God. Uh, The second thing is uh, justification involves a double counting. And this is really important. A double counting. You see this in verses 3 and 5. And then in verse 8. In verse 3 we see that Abraham believed God... It was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 5. Not to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. And uh, what Paul is saying here is, when one trusts in God, particularly in Christ, one receives the declaration of righteousness. In particular, one is credited with Jesus' righteousness. God sees your account... As being full of Christ's righteousness. It's been credited to you. You get it. You didn't earn it. It's not really necessarily a part of you yet. But when the Father sees you, He sees the Son's righteousness. That's what it means that it's credited to you. So that's one way in which it's counted. The second comes up in verse 7 and 8. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. That word covered is atonement again. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord does not count his sin. In other words, uh, our sin is a great deficit. It's a great debt in our account. God holds it against us. And uh, here God decides not to count our sin against us. Why? Because it's covered. In particular, it's covered by Jesus. Jesus gets our debt. Jesus pays our debt. It's counted to Him. Our debt is counted to Him. His righteousness is counted to us. This is called the great exchange. It's also called the double imputation. Uh, Fancy theological words. But basically, we get Christ's righteousness. He gets the penalty for our debt. His righteousness is credited to us. The penalty for our sin is credited to Him. Um, In other words, this is a really good deal uh, that we don't really deserve in any way. Uh, it's the nature of grace and lastly as it's, as it's a gift it's something that can only be received it can't be earned it can't uh, be manipulated you you receive it by faith in Jesus um, and verses 23 to 25 which I read at the end make it really clear that this is not just for Abraham this is not for the super spiritual uh, it's for us Verse twenty two, verse twenty three. The words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in Jesus and to believe in God who raised from the dead our Lord Jesus. Uh, this is the way we're made right with God. This is uh, this is the story of the Bible that uh, Christ came and lived a righteous life, that He might bear the full penalty, the full debt that uh, we had to pay, and that He might uh, have that full righteousness that's counted. To us when we trust in Him. So, uh, this is really the heart of uh, justification and Christianity. And uh, Martin Luther, who I started with him early and uh, gave a little definition of justification from him, he went on to say, like, you know, every Sunday morning I talk about this. Pretty much every Sunday morning. Because every single week my people forget it. And he went on to say that the reason they forget it is because this is in- incredibly counterintuitive to the human heart. The human heart, and therefore pretty much all the world's religions, are wired for performance, wired to think we have to earn our own way, wired to trust in ourselves, uh, and, and not trust in a God who's gracious, who would love us to this extent. So uh, I, I will give you that as an encouragement that not only. Uh, If you're here and you haven't heard this before, not only should you look into this more and read more about it and study it more, I could help you do that. But even if you know it, to continue to explore it, there are rich dimensions and facets that would really help you appreciate it. But also to continue to dwell on it and think about it often, because it's your heart's tendency to run away from this. To to put confidence in yourself and your own abilities uh, to be like the Pharisee. All right, as we do occasionally, I will take a question or two. Uh, If you want to fire a question off to me, do it now, and uh, I'll do the best I can to answer it, or dodge it, but uh, I'll try to answer it. And as always, staff, if you want to contribute, please do. I actually have a question. Mm -hmm. I guess I just need clarification. Ask. Um, Verse 9 in Romans Mm -hmm. 4. Is this blessing meant only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? I guess this is kind of more of a a historical thing. Yep. What is that more particularly? So this is really a great question. I should have have mentioned this in my message. I meant to. So what Paul's doing here, uh, and he clarifies it in verse 10 he's he's really trying, he's talking to two groups of people the Romans, which includes Gentiles and Jews and what he's trying to get at is this reality that you were justified apart from your works and uh, he goes on and says hey, was, was Abraham justified declared just before circumcision or after? because if it was after circumcision, then a faithful Jew would say he obeyed God's law, God told him to be circumcised he was circumcised so God declared him righteous that's not the way it happened. Paul says, no, what happened was he was declared just before he was circumcised. In other words, he had done nothing, nothing at all to deserve this, and God declared him just. And then he received the sign and obeyed. So that's what what Paul's doing with this example there about justification. And he's making it clear not only a matter of Performance, keeping the law, but even pedigree. uh, The Jews would say, This is for us, the Jewish people. And if you want to become one of us, if you want to be a believer of God, it's easy. You just got to become Jewish. That's what they would say, basically. And you can become Jewish by doing all the things we do. And Paul's making the case it's not based on your performance or your pedigree. God declares people righteous based on faith in Christ, apart from works of the law. All right. Any other questions? Uh huh. Um, can you say again the distinction between how Old Testament and New Testament people were justified? Pretty much no distinction. But you said something was different. Uh, here I was saying there was no. The, you you have here an example of Abraham of the same reality that you're justified by faith in God. Uh, I mentioned last week uh, the difference would be they didn't have a real clear comprehension of who Christ was. Um, that, that part of the story was still developing but they were trusting, like Genesis fifteen six. they trusted in God and he declared them righteous based on their faith not on the performance of the law so that's what I was saying if I didn't say that, it was a failure on my part so. we were talking about the sacrifices at one point was, yeah. we were saying like the sacrifices were kind of like the circumcision in, in that it wasn't a symptom of their faith yeah so. mm-hmm. Yeah, so the confession helps us here. And if you don't know what confession I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But what, what what the confession says about this is all these things sort of served as shadows and prefigurements, you know, foretelling, sort of dropping it in the story, what's to come, of Jesus. They pointed to Jesus, who became more and more clear as the story came along, what this future sacrifice, future king would be like. They pointed to him. Uh, and they and they told the people important things about the nature of the faith. Like, you don't save yourselves. You'll need a sacrifice. They knew that. Uh, but it was on the basis of their faith and not on their obedience that they were made right with God. So, you sort of see this tied up in the nature of God's character, Exodus 34. Uh, he's a God gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, forgiving sins. Uh, when God talks about what He's like, He talks about... Grace, kindness, love, forgiveness, holiness, yes, judgment, but uh, there's a provision of sacrifice for God's people, and they're called to believe in Him, and that's how they're made right. So they're looking forward uh, to this one to come, but, you know, they didn't have much information to work with at the time. So we look back and see Christ pretty clearly. They were looking forward. It's a little bit hazy, but still saved by faith. I think that's what I meant. It's- well, I would say, most basically, they were having faith in Yahweh. In this character. And they were doing what they were asked to do. But in the end, uh, that was sufficient for them. And it became clearer and clearer as you went along in the Old Testament um, that there was going to be a provision of a sacrifice. but And a Messiah to come. But they didn't necessarily put together that the Messiah was supposed to die for them. We've talked about that some. Yeah. Other questions? So, how do you distinguish between faith and work? How do I distinguish between faith and work? Any that's pretty broad. Anything in particular you want me to work away at, or just talk about in general? So when I like, when I think of faith, I think like praying. Yeah. Praying feels like kind of like a work-related thing. Okay. You know, it's a great question in regards to prayer because. Um, you know, prayer is what I would call an exercise of faith. Um, properly done is an expression of faith. And maybe it's a work, but it requires faith to do it. Like, otherwise, I just wouldn't do it. If I didn't trust that God was listening, I wouldn't pray, for instance. you know. Um, so, you know, the, the, the classic, uh, I would say the Pharisees' version of faith and work went this way. Uh, faith in Yahweh, which he had, plus my works... Prayer, fasting, tithing, equals I'm made right with God. Um, And what Luther, and I I think Luther does based on Romans, is the equation has works in it, but you've got works on the wrong side of the equals marks. That faith equals justification plus works. That uh, I have faith in Christ, and based on that, God counts me as righteous I'm justified. And because I'm now bought into that relationship with God, I, I do works. Uh, so, Ephesians 2 8 through 10, it's probably the clearest one on this. You know, we're, we're saved by grace apart from works. Even the faith you have is a gift. But you've done this so that you can do the works that God's prepared for you to do. So, God works a way to give us faith, brings us into a right relationship so that we would do works. Uh, and those works are, are meant to be aspects of the relationship that we have with God. So prayer is a way of relating. It's not a way to earn God's favor to make me right with God. Instead, it's a grateful response to God making me right and the way I relate to Him. And all the works that we're called to do should be seen in that light. That these things don't make me right with God, but they're the right way that I relate to Him, and they're the way I become more like Him. So I don't know if that's exactly what you're asking. Yeah. I probably kind not like describe it. Go. Anything else? I, you know, in some ways, I would—I'll just relate this back to my own father. I, I, I worked with my dad a lot while my dad was alive, and I guess there's a way that you could work with your dad. And perhaps if your dad's a terrible person, the work you do with your dad would be the way that you earn his favor. You work hard enough, you earn his favor. I know lots of people that are as the description, uh, it was never that way with my dad. My dad loved me. I worked with him because we enjoyed the relationship. I wanted to work with him because of that. Like other people want to do something else on Saturday morning. I wanted to go work with my dad. It was a means of relating to my father as an extension of the relationship. It was a way we grew deeper. It was the way I became more like him. And I think that's the way the Bible describes it. Yeah. All right. Thanks for your question.